My name is Chris. I'm Eddie. And I'm Steve. And this is Streaming Things, a Stranger Things podcast. Uh, we're a little behind. Steve went to Spain. No, wait, Alabama. I and, wish uh, it was Spain. <laughs> <laughs> We've taken a little bit of time to recoup. Uh, we have both, or all three of us rather, have watched the entire season. We're not going to lie to you. Uh, I think I finished it about 12 hours after we finished recording the first three episodes. Uh, yeah, it's like 16 hours, give or might take. Might be. Um, and then I've watched it twice since Steve, have you, you've seen the entire show, right? Yeah. I had to watch something on my way down to Alabama. And so it was the show. That's <laughs> right. Long flight to Spain. Yeah. Uh, a- Andy, you, you watched the entire show as well, right? Yeah. I finished it about 16 hours after, uh, we finished the recording the last episode. I have not since rewatched it twice, but, uh, I'm itching to. So after I it'll be more like our coverage of season one, right? Where we had all seen the show. Uh, but we won't, yeah. we've tried not to refer to later goings on as much as we can avoid it. Uh, I think our episodes, the way we're struggling to catch up will be a little shorter than usual, but not without their usual flair and splendor. Um, also, it is worth noting for those that are listening that our show is going to be uh, adapting. We'll probably try to make a new logo and a new uh, bumper at the top, some new music, and just drift into a weekly discussion of whatever we've all been watching and what's going on in pop culture at that time, which I think is going to be really fun. Uh, we're working on adapting things to a YouTube channel. First, just the audio format, and then maybe some video of us recording these shows. Um, maybe Twitch. We don't know. Just just hang in there. There Things might be something. There might be something else on the listeners' mind as they listen to our voices currently, and that and that question is, uh, "Where's Sam? Oh, yeah. Where'd she go? Sam? She's uh, there. So Sam's dead. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> awful. She, she never made it out of Alabama. She's, she's been flayed. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. No, she's uh, she's actually here in the apartment with me. We had to uh, record separately today because of uh, schedules and time restraints. So Sam's in the room with me. We just don't have a second mic. And she has <laughs> given me, for those of you who want to know Sam's opinion on things, she has given me a list of things she wants me to address for this episode. Really? Awesome. And awesome. by list, I mean there's one thing that she really wanted <laughs> me to talk about. <laughs> one huge thing. Okay. Uh, that should be its own segment. Um Sam says, or something. Sam, that's a segment <laughs> Sam says. <laughs> Get it like Simon. Uh, so this is uh, episode four of chapter three. of Well, they call it chapters anyway. It's fucking season three, chapter four, The Sauna Test. Netflix describes it thusly. A code red brings the gang back together to face a frighteningly familiar evil. Karen urges Nancy to keep digging. And Robin finds a useful map. So, uh, yeah, things are picking up. And as I recall, Steve and I were both kind of on the fence. Episode three kind of picked things up heavily for both of us. I think right about here is where I decided, okay, fuck yeah. And then within a few episodes, I was, uh, with a little bit of recency bias, tempted to say this might be the best Stranger Things season. 
for a lot of reasons. So I'm excited to talk about it. I definitely ended up loving uh, this season once it got going. Steve, did you have the same experience? And that's the most I want to say about like the rest of the show. But just I remember that's where we left off because we were both on the fence. So if so if yeah, if you remember the last three episodes that we recorded, I I think I was probably the most down on the season as a whole. Uh, uh, episodes one through three, I was kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's fun, but I'm not feeling it. It's not grabbing me. Uh, the kids are all acting like cunts, mm-hmm. <laughs> specifically Mike. Uh, but but <laughs> this this is the episode, episode four, the sauna test. This is the one that turned all that shit around. Because uh, by the end of this episode, I was finally like, yes, this is what I was looking for in Stranger Things. I love yeah. it. And honestly, the season doesn't let up from this episode going forward. So I'm really excited to talk about why this episode in particular really stuck out to me and really kind of reminded me why I love this show so much. Awesome. Andy? Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, so I I was not down on this season. I loved it up to this point, and this episode was the fucking shit because it, like, it establishes the stakes moving forward, and I thought that it was done really effectively, and you get to see, like, the breadth of the issue and, like... All they're still the, the group. The, I feel like the uh, Netflix description is a little wrong because the group is still super fractured. Uh, but you know, it like they're weakened in a way because they don't. They, they're not all together and they don't have all of their uh, their I don't know teammate charm if you want to call it. Dustin in there. That's the biggest problem. Dustin's not hanging out with his homies. And where's uh, Dustin? Yeah, I know. Uh, Whenever the crew is fractured, it's like it, it kind of. I don't know. It, it should create conflict that's needed to shake things up after seasons and seasons, but it really gets less interesting for some reason. Yeah, it's kind of like the fight uh, that Lucas has with the rest of the group uh, in season one. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so when when they're fractured, they, they're at their weakest. But yeah, th- this episode was the shit. And like you guys said, from this episode on, it's just balls to the wall badassery. And balls and I'm, walls. I, I am here for it. <laughs> It's not um, just balls to the walls, it's balls in walls. Yeah. Uh. I said and, but that's even more disturbing. <laughs> like a glory hole? Is that what you, yeah. Uh, the walls it, have balls. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, so the, the cold open of this episode is, a, is essentially a monsoon, uh, you know, horror, stormy house. Um, Eleven's inside, I think, brushing her hair or something, brushing her teeth. And she's having visions of Billy and Heather, and you can see that she's unsettled. That she's starting to realize that uh, something is afoot, right? And uh, then cut to her and Max, and they're having their little sleepover. Uh, Max talks her out of it and says, you know, Billy's weird, not a big deal. The girl's fine. Uh, I did take note that Max's logic was a little goofy because this season, they're, it's all girl power, which I'm all about, right? They find the Wonder Woman comics, uh, this episode in particular is a couple uh, strong female moments that are meant to be highlighted in that way, in my belief. But then you have Max, one of those characters who's really smart and feisty and awesome. She says to Eleven, I don't know, she was bleeding and then she decided to take a cold bath and it's fine. And that was her logic, like, and left the blood everywhere and she took an <laughs> ice bath. Like, who the fuck does that? Like, to nobody's done that since like 1890 when they used to break fevers that way. Uh, I just thought that was weird for Max to just rationalize it that way. Like, she dumped, you know, 18 pounds of ice in the bath and took a bath, like, and left the, <laughs> with the bags, you know, like She's nothing a weird. Professional athlete, basically. Right. Listen, Eleven, uh, I know you grew up in the woods and you don't know a thing about modern medicine, but I'm a school you. <laughs> this you is leave. how you drop a fever. Everyone knows you're dumb. 
You leave the bags in. <laughs> you dumb. You dumb. I feel like this episode has a couple of times where it struggles with its logic, uh, especially later when uh, Will is trying to describe what happened last season. It kind of was like, a, oh, yeah, that didn't really make any sense. They're like, well, we, we cut off the head and so the demodogs died. But then the, the Thessal Hydra uh, got inside me and then my mom got him out. And then it's like, whoa, hold, hold up. What? That, that's not how it went down. Is that how it went down? Like, yeah, I was just struggling with, like, they're struggling to explain what happened last season, so I feel like the viewer would struggle even more so. But that is how it went down, is it not? Yeah, but, like, my the mom got him out of me, like, that, get out of my son, they cut to that, like, how, what, why? With those heaters. Yeah, it was with the heaters, They because they, he the likes heaters? it cold, so they put the space heaters next to Will and got him really, really hot, and that... So, why doesn't that work this time? Sorry, I'm st- I'm jumping ahead in the episode. Sorry, way ahead, but it's fine. I I think um, it almost does until he breaks the window, um, breaks the wind, which Sorry. and then lets a lot of air in. And then he gets out of the the room, and I think uh, maybe Billy is a stronger and he's uh, you know what I mean, a stronger host, and he's more mm-hmm. seated inside him. I mean, I I bought it, but I was thinking the same thing. I, I took it as technically it did work because there is that brief moment in time where it does leave Billy and and then it comes back, obviously. But also, I feel like its presence is um, spread across, what, 30 people now? So it's not yeah. going to just like f- like vacate the premises like it did with Will, where it's like, oh, too hot in here, fuck you, landlord, bye-bye, and fly okay. up into the sky. Whereas like now it's kind of like it's much more spread out and it can like cut one off and then re-engage the connection as it were yeah i, I have a lot of things that's i think we could it's stranger things cut straight <laughs> through my bullshit uh you know fly through a lot of my bullshit and, and talk about a few things like that at great length which is my plan because this episode had a lot of good shit um so uh, max teachers are about wonder woman uh we cut to mrs driscoll um, fighting to get in the ambulance because she wants to go to the the steelworks and reunite with her flayed brethren, right? But she just looks like a schizophrenic crazy lady. And we get anybody else catch who we we get reunited with in that scene? That's uh, pedo the pedo cop, creepy cop. Yeah, the psychopathic <laughs> was sociopath cop or something. What I used to say. Yeah, he was shook too. He was like, usually I'm the one who's the craziest one in the scene, right. and that was not today. And I'm out of my element. I don't this know what to do. Actually, <laughs> freaking me out. Um, it's weird that they split up the duo. How do uh, normies act around me? Because I need to act that way now. <laughs> uh, cut to Heather's parents. Um, one of which is the, the the head of the newspaper that Nancy works for. And they're being flayed. And um, watching that scene for the, like, the fourth time today, I don't know. I, you start to get overly critical when you've watched something like that so many times in such a short span. But I don't know. I didn't particularly. I just didn't buy it. It was weird. He's like arguing with it. Like he wasn't as freaked out. Like I, and it's tough in a movie, but it's like his daughter and her new boyfriend. I'm in some weird basement. I'm tied up. I've just been beat to shit. And he cuts right to like stereotypical like honey you don't have to do this you know what i mean and it's yeah. kind of like do what like you have no fucking clue what's going on right now like you know what <laughs> i mean like i would have just read that way differently just i don't know what he should have done but that trying to talk her out of this thing like he knows she's been down this path for a while and he caught her selling meth and she joined the gang and you know what i mean like he tried to get her out and then she pushed him away and he hadn't seen her in a year and now he's there 
<laughs> like that's what it was like. And, but in reality, he's just like, what the fuck? Like, fuck right. you, bitch. Get me out of here. You know, <laughs> I don't like your boyfriend at all. I was eating dinner. I don't know what's going on. Um, I don't know. That's, I think I have a concussion. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't let me fall asleep again. You blasted um, me with a bottle. <laughs> I hate your mother. I don't know why they came out of me. I just, we need to talk about it. <laughs> uh, I feel like there's always an interesting dynamic when it's the child taking power over the parent uh, and how the reaction should be in any situation like that, especially this one, because like, I don't know, they, like you said, he did get beat to shit and then tied up, hog tied with his wife and like everybody's acting super creepy. But at the same time, it's like, that's, that's your kid there. So how, how do you react? I don't know, Chris, it's like, imagine your, your son, you like, you get knocked out, you come to, and he's like, hello, daddy. You know what I mean? What you, you'd be like, you're fucking grounded, kid. What are you doing? Like, yeah, he's sick. So know. I'd be more like, I know it would definitely be. Just hearing Andy say hello, daddy was off putting. <laughs> if I woke up and Andy said that, it would be way worse. Uh, <laughs> we cut to Hopper. I dreamt of this moment so long. <laughs> <laughs> we, we cut to Hopper with a whoop ass hangover because um, he, he wakes up and uh, Joyce has completely undressed him and placed him on the couch um, without any help. And he's a large man. What do you think he weighs? 240? 220 yeah 220 240 how the fuck did she get him out of the place into the car (laughs) out of the car into the house undress him uh and then go (laughs) get that motherly strength so and then she's overly shy about his cock even though she clearly just saw it because she undressed him right all right i don't know like I said, fourth time in like one week watching the show, you get overly critical, but I'm starting to think about things like this. Um, it's it's different when they're awake, though, I guess. It's like, a, oh, my God. Now he's, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I there love how is. they like when he first starts coming to, he's all knocked out and stuff. And he's like they cut to like these glamour shots of her looking down on him and him looking up at her and like slight push in zoom and like a little bit of music. And then he starts like choking up and then fucking pukes and yeah i don't know it was it was a nice little come back to reality moment absolutely and i was uh really shocked the first time i saw him vomit like that because and it's realistic too like he had been you know severely kidney and gut punched and you know um right. th- drinks a lot anyway so <laughs> but yeah that was a good uh subversion of expectation um her <laughs> adorable attempt to get the license plate uh was pretty hilarious um so she's like no we got him and hop's like what what's that and he's like no just track him down what's that it's his license plate and hop's like oh shit for real what are all the dashes (laughs) those are blanks (laughs) this was like a y or a v a b or an eight over here uh you know and he's just like jesus christ that's not gonna work and she's like what (laughs) run that shit you know (laughs) do cop stuff that's me trying to remember my password on the online websites. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which no website, shit. Steve? Uh, but he does get a clue from Joyce because it's not a car. It's a motorcycle. And he has seen somebody with a motorcycle helmet recently. And he's a fucking monster. And that must be him. Okay, There's only one motorcycle be. in Hawkins. But no he one comes rides in. a sweet ho- in Hawkins. No but one's he, riding a hog in Hawkins. He comes out. <laughs> And I am vindicated because of the shirt he's wearing. Do you remember the argument that all three of us had at the end of episode one, gentlemen? About no. Tom Selleck? 
about whether or not the show was Magnum PI, right? Yeah. Which it 100% is at that point. Am I wrong? No, that's 100% a Magnum PI shirt. Yeah. So I I, I think that that tracks, that that was 100% Magnum PI that he was watching, right? It would make sense. Boom, boom. Um, Anyway, could have just Googled it. Magnum PI. You're a Magnum PI. That's what I thought Tom you said for a Selleck second. Tom Selleck is in Magnum PI. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Mustaches. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Whatever. You know what I meant. I'm still right. Uh, cut back to uh, the crew trying to reunite, but they're having a lot of complications now that they've entered into romantic relationships. You know, puberty. there's some things afoot. Puberty has complicated the crew. Um, Dustin is continuing to spy on the Russians with his cohorts. Uh, Ethan Hawke's daughter <laughs> and Steve. Now, I just want to note that, that Andy and I found out uh, like a week ago, right after we quit recording, that that, that was Uma Thurman and Ethan, Hawk, Ethan Hawke's daughter, which is yeah. really neat. That blew my mind. Someone told me at first, like, hey, did you know that's Ethan Hawke's daughter? I'm like, no shit, that's so cool. And then Andy's like, yeah, it's also Uma Thurman's daughter. I'm like, oh, what? I, that, duh, <laughs> she looks just like Steve's her. Steve's like it. <laughs> Takes two to make a baby. That's right. <laughs> Ethan Hawke has a relationship with Uma Thurman. I'm putting all the clues together. It's like Joyce and with the plate. And she looks like you took one of those face meshing apps and put Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman together and just sprinkled on some freckles, and that's them. And she's <laughs> a really I mean, good like, actor. Sweet oh, Robin. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Steve has uh, a terrible plan. He's trying to show off for Robin, and it's one of my favorite moments. Uh, so they're all in the ice cream shop, like, how do we get in? They got the key card, the guy with the gun. It just seems impenetrable. And Steve's like, well, we could just have me take him out, <laughs> get the key card. And Dustin's like, what? <laughs> you know, sneak in, take him out. Oh, I forgot he has a gun. And Steve's like, yeah, that's why I said sneak, duh. And Dustin, <laughs> Dustin's like, okay, you're forgetting the fact that you have never won a fight. Yeah. <laughs> that's not true. That was awesome. Every season, Steve gets his ass handed to him by someone. <laughs> and I love, there's a lot of, uh, this season in particular, I guess because the show is now established enough to do that and has the fandom to do fan service. But it has become, you know, equally as much as we reference the 80s in the show, the show can now reference itself. Oh, yeah. And we can have a good time. There should almost be a separate ego section because uh, there's a bunch of times throughout this season where the show references itself. And it's really awesome. This is one of those moments where they've admitted, hey, we always have Steve get his ass kicked. Uh, <laughs> it kind of sucks at fighting. So that's funny. Um, can we call him Strangos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, don't do that. That's yeah, weird. That, yeah, that, that sounded that like sounds... a weird. Yeah, I don't like it. Like that a sounds sex illegal. That <laughs> uh, <laughs> sounds illegal. <laughs> Steve has a terrible plan. Uh, then Robin has a plan, much better, and runs off. Cut to uh, more Nancy at the hypersexist newspaper, which I think is the name. I'm not, I don't remember. Um, yeah. What, that's the, the Daily Sexist. That? Yeah, like Hypersexism Gazette, maybe, or the Daily <laughs> Sexist. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're getting. Anyone that hires a Busey, that's the, you know, yeah. that's the only Done. You know what you're in for at that point. Uh, they get fired. They got a, a huge lashing from their flayed boss. And he's all sweaty and he's got the Band-Aid. Nancy's like, hey, this is kind of weird. But Jonathan's like, he's just so mad. He popped a vessel and is all sweaty. I love that scene because uh, much like, it, like it's so different than any other scene because th- that 
it's like the camera it's like the dp the showed up on set that day dope. and he was like dutch angles dutch angles constantly <laughs> how are we gonna Dude, do well, <laughs> Oh, they do this sudden uh, switch to Dutch angle when he kicks the desk, it, and it's it's like a cha- a power change in the scenes. He's yeah. like, "You fucked up!" and he kicks the desk, and as he kicks it, like it the the angle like tilts a little bit, and it like adds to the impact of, of the kick. And then that scene from the re- the whole rest of that scene is all Dutch angles. It's really cool. It's like when he kicked the desk, he accidentally moved the camera, and the DP's right. like, "Wait, wait, 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 no, 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 no." <laughs> Just leave it. Leave it. Leave it. <laughs> Sound designer, do you got any ideas for this moment? I do. <laughs> How about like a grenade ring from like platoon-esque era? Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. You know the one Andy puts in in his shitty short films? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember we did that? I anyway, remember that. So, uh, yeah, That's they get fired, loud. obviously, for tracking down uh, Driscoll and then that whole charade. Um, so then we cut back to... Will, and this is what Andy was alluding to earlier, Will explaining how the Mind Flayer has returned, not just to them, but to the audience, very obviously. And uh, another wonderful paper demo, which is kind of the show referencing itself, but I also think just the way that they do things. I actually really appreciate it that at least once a season, sometimes twice, we get one of the kids trying to explain some really obscure philosophical construct on which the plot hinges. Uh, by using a piece of paper, maybe a pen, mm-hmm. folding it around and illustrating, you know, things like parallel universes and stuff. So in this season, we get Will, you know, with some chalk. You know, what is that? Uh, what's that called? Not chalk. Charcoal. It's charcoal. Uh, draw Get the me mind my charcoal. Flare. I got to tell you something. Rubs it on his hand. It was on me. <laughs> get the charcoal. Flips it over. <laughs> smears it on the other side of the paper. So now we get the imp- there. And it fucking works. As stupid as it is. Like, I get it. Like, yeah. oh, there's a tiny piece of the flare rubbed on the paper of this plane of existence. Yeah. But moving so- on. Oh, never mind. I, I was leaning towards spoilers for later episodes. I guess I can't do that. So never mind. Moving Andy, on. we haven't seen them theoretically. Uh, right? Correct. Uh, and also there are the, more episodes? <laughs> <laughs> they also uh, get perfectly theorized that there must be hosts and maybe other hosts now that the Mind Flayer is maybe back. Uh, so they basically figure everything out immediately because they're <laughs> smart little kids. They've been through this quite a few times. Um, cut to Magnum Hopper storming City Hall and torturing the mayor, which is my notes because that's exactly what fucking happens. And it's awesome, yeah. <laughs> but also kind of crazy. One thing I liked about the scene is it kind of uh, confirmed a couple jokes we would make about Hopper, and especially in the first season where Hopper was like popping Sir pills a lot. and yeah. drinking a lot. And the, the mayor's like, uh, what if I tell old Tom at the Hawkins Post uh, about all those pills you've been popping? Uh, shortly after uh, Hopper tries to extort him with all of his philandering and misdeeds. And it's just kind of like, oh, I guess it's not quite a big secret or that around town that Hopper used to be, uh, Hopper used to party. <laughs> Hop likes to party. It's but true. He's past the point of partying. He used to party and now he's just in downward spiral. Yeah, now he's, <laughs> he's partying. I, I drink alone. He's doing what we like to call George Thorogooding it at this point in his life. Uh, but he's on the up and up now that he's got a daughter. Yeah, uh, he's doing third Other than torturing the mayor every now and again. Yeah. Um, so 
Then we get cut back to the second time in this one episode that the show references itself as soon as it cuts from Hopper torturing the mayor. And then they find out about all the, the land deeds and the property and that the mall's involved. So Hopper is zeroing in on the same thing that the other two crews are zeroing in on, right? We cut to Nancy going, it's bullshit. Did anyone <laughs> yeah, else dude. catch that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like oh, she yeah. says bullshit before it even cuts to her. Like it yeah. hasn't quite transitioned to a visual of Nancy and you see it's, it's bullshit. <laughs> and she even kind of said Gross. it in that drunk tone. It had to be super intentional. Yeah. Um, I loved it. Dude, the Duffers listen to this show. Oh, they, for, they sure. for sure. For <laughs> sure. Huge fans, by the way. Had, Those who are they, just listening for the first time. Huge fans, the Duffers. They had another reference as well in that same scene. Did you guys catch it? When, when Nancy actually gets home and she like storms upstairs, Karen's like, hey, but then Karen stops at the steps and is like, damn it, I can't go up there. <laughs> oh, and she used to follow her into her room and shit, right? Well, remember how we used to joke that like both uh, Karen and uh, Ted couldn't cross the threshold upstairs? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they would just stop the stairs like, ah, oh, she now got away again. Eventually Karen does get up there in this episode, but like the but scene she cuts would with her not the being room. able to get up there. Yeah. yeah. It burns like, her God hand. damn it, she got up there. The, show, the upward struggle. <laughs> burns his. Um, yeah, so... I think this scene was amazing. Um, talking about the part where Jonathan and Nancy are in the car. They end up having this, I don't know, something I really resonated with where they they fight about class differences and gender differences. You know what I mean? It's Jonathan's upset that she got him fired and she's upset that he's not backing her up. And he's like, you're just a spoiled fucking little bitch. And you, you know, I, I'm broke now. Like, seriously, I support my family. And, uh, and she's, like I was being demeaned. Why would you even want to work there? Like it was awful. And you know, mm-hmm. so he thinks that she's, you know, naive and spoiled. And she thinks that he has no idea the extra hurdles that she has to go through just by being a woman. And they just both agree to not understand one another. And it's very sad at the end there, but I thought that that was uh, just a huge moment in, in the show itself. And in this episode for sure, uh, where it, there's a really broad theme there. And I think, that it's very difficult, and here's where I'm going to take it too far. But what I was, what I, what resonated with me, is that for me, two good people in the real world often do that. Like how liberals eat their own, or you know, uh, anyone that I might argue over an issue with. We both have legitimate grievances and legitimate life experience that prevents us from understanding or identifying with the other. But we're both against like the real evil. You know what I mean? Like anytime you argue yeah. politics or philosophy with somebody who thinks. It believes in freedom and truth and justice and you know what I mean uh, but you still have this huge fight and like you should both be united against Nazis and people who are against uh, you know homosexuals having rights and people who are against like obviously the wrong things is what they're for you know what I mean right. but you're just fighting <laughs> with another normal person over something minute and I don't know does that make sense I was rambling there but like that's what I saw in that scene is they're both right, but they have some yeah. ultimate evil as who they should be united against. And literally in this show's case, but I don't know. Class war. <laughs> Steve just chimes <laughs> in at the end. Yep. It's the classic class war. <laughs> I pictured your uh, Steve from the age app when you said that. <laughs> no, that really war. was a really super effective, uh, affecting scene. It was almost like a more liberal and more independent kind of point of view. Uh, but the dynamic of 
workplace sexism, which she's got a ways to go before it gets better, and it's still not better now, so that sucks, because Nancy's old now, and still dealing with that sexism stuff, whereas Jonathan Andy, Andy, is a straight Andy. white male. Nancy's not real. <laughs> uh, well, oh my god. <laughs> what? She's a fictional character. <laughs> uh, but that just struck Was me a lot. 35 years from now, so she's in her 60s, 50s? 50s or 60s, yeah, but still yeah. looking good, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Her hair is vastly different again. Do you think she watches the show? Our oh, show? Oh, Stranger Things. <laughs> Damn it. Andy, Andy, no one watches our show. They listen to our show. <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just dunking on Andy for this, this entire episode. I don't know why. <laughs> we, get to, we get to the chocolate pudding. You're just like, fuck you. <laughs> My number one chocolate pudding is when Andy looked like a bitch. <laughs> Ironically, this is the point in my notes. I'm glad you guys are doing this where I just have written blank uh, <laughs> because I answered my cell phone and talked for I don't know how long. And then it says they suspect Billy. So <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't think that's the way it actually went down. But uh, I think the only thing you missed was a cut back to the, the scoops ahoy folk and they're trying to fit Dustin up into the the air duct oh that scene yeah that was a good scene too damn it touch my butt yeah touch my butt <laughs> posh so yeah Dustin's don't even care touch fit my butt <laughs> so that's the plan that Robin had is she had the, the blueprints of the mall and they found that the ventilation system went into the area they were trying to get into and they just need to crawl through the vents and Dustin must be small enough but he's not um, apparently he has no shoulder bones or whatever and he still can't <laughs> quite fit um so cut back to the other part of the crew and they have like 11 in the gang max and nims max and nims is what i'll start calling it uh <laughs> suspect that billy might be one of the people who's hosting the mind flayer um so they talk about it and they see that he's covered in towels and umbrellas and all kinds of shit at the pool and they're like oh no billy always shows as much skin as he can okay he's got dibs on skins so <laughs> What's that movie with Orson Welles, like a really old Orson Welles, where he's like, oh, what is it? It's like a sci-fi movie where he makes like people animals on an island. I don't oh, know. God. No he, he, like Billy looked like Orson Welles in that movie where he's like draped in like a white gown with like <laughs> thick sunglasses and a hat. <laughs> oh, are you talking about the island of Dr. Moreau? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I he only saw the, the, the other one, the newer one with Val Kilmer. Yeah. It's the, that one. Nice. It's the only one I've ever seen, but yeah, that one. Yeah, Orson, Orson Welles is the is I guess he's Doctor Moreau in that movie, in uh, the I, beginning of it. I don't know that I knew that till just now, Steve. I'm not gonna lie, because I was a child when I saw that. Didn't know who Orson Welles was, but I knew who fucking Val Kilmer was because I'm he'll be my Huckleberry, and I always I'd, remember that. I had to make a huge thesis of the sci-fi genre in college, like a video essay of sci-fi, and uh, the Island of Doctor Moreau was a was a semi-significant part of that thesis. <laughs> Nerd. You guys both got me beat. I've never seen either of them. I linked to that thesis in the show notes, yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. <laughs> Can't wait to read it. I actually might. Um, it's a so video we, essay. We cut to uh, the boys only part of the plan, which is really fucked up at first because, you know, all the significant others are fighting in the crew and then they're like, boys only. And I love how he does it. He's such an idiot. He doesn't explain it would take two seconds to be like, no, it's because it's the boys' locker room. That's where we're going. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, not, that's not offensive at all. Instead, he's just like, boys only, roll out. Trust me, <laughs> bitches. 
And then, you know, <laughs> no, really, trust me. <laughs> just tell us. Cut to the boys just Mike. playing video games, laughing at how dumb the girls are, uh, which is just a scene in their minds. No, because it's a locker room, and they you realize quickly they go into the sauna with all the gross old men, and they're like, oh, they're going to try to put Billy in the sauna. Um, cut if to, I was a kid, that sight of all the old dudes would scar me for life. <laughs> apparently it did. Was it Lucas that was like, I think I'm going to be sick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole notion of a sauna, I barely understand in adulthood, so that would be super weird as like a 13 or 14-year-old for sure. Um, cut to what I've called Erica be tripping. Uh, <laughs> I love Erica, and I love what they're doing with her character. Because uh, it was a total plot. I always hated her. It was just like the little sister. Do you know before? Like just annoying, mean, sh- like an annoying, mean little sister. Like mm-hmm. always saying scathing things at Lucas, just cutting in and out. And I think that they took a look at that. And part of the um, the raising of the female characters in this show, too. All of a sudden, she's like borderline genius. You know, very educated in politics and science. Uh, she's mm-hmm. a nerd. We find out later, right? Um, very strong willed anyway. So chips, ahoy, whatever it is, scoops, ahoy, (laughs) that crew, the scoops troop, they recruit Erica to crawl through the air vent. And what she requires is a uh, lifetime supply of ice cream to help them out. Uh, dust short sighted, it's short sighted that, that, that ice cream place ain't going to be open forever. No, yeah, not very much longer at all. That mall ain't even going to be open forever. <laughs> not very much longer at all. I and assume the deal. The deal is only with Steve and Sweet Robin. So I mean, they're they're not going to be employed at Scoops Ahoy their whole life. I mean, very short sighted. You're right. I'll cut her back down from genius level. I mean, she's still a child though. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and and I I do love the scene because it has one of the best, one of my favorite lines this whole uh, season, which is uh, you can't say <laughs> you can't say you can't America, America without Erica. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dustin's face like. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's weird to bring up, but that's true. Uh, so then he ap- appeals to her patriotism, and he she listens to his whole speech. And there's like this awesome, weird Samuel L. Jackson from Pulp Fiction moment where she's just destroying the milkshake, pretending to listen to oh, him, yeah. and you can hear the slurping over his speech. And she's like, oh, that gave me chills. Not your speech, the malt. You know, I don't know. It was just, I feel like Tarantino's just writing Erica's lines and I fucking love it. Uh, I don't know. It just, you know what I like about America, Dustin? Capitalism. (laughs) Which is a free market economy where people are rewarded based on the size of their contributions. And being ass, you know, just like, holy shit, who's monologuing this girl right now? This is awesome. Dustin, anyway. may I please have a drink of your tasty beverage? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then Robin's like, what? And she's like, say what again? That would be awesome. So, uh, and that might even be an ego. Who fucking knows? These guys watch a lot of movies. Cut back to uh, Hoyce, which I'm, which what I'm calling Hopper and Joyce. Uh, <laughs> if they were a power couple. <laughs> I mean, you can, what do you like, Jopper? Uh, I'm team Jopper, bro. Jopper's better. Hoist was ridiculous. I'm sorry. <laughs> cut, back to, <laughs> cut back to Jopper. Uh, and a hilarious, for just for our show, she says, you know, she runs to the map because the mayor, of course, would have a map of Hawkins on his wall. Right as they're trying to figure out what all these land deeds mean. And she's like, she screenshotted that, dude. What else is near Jordan Lake? And my first thought was Steve's house, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I was expecting like one of those like orange stickers like in the middle of the map that just says Steve's house. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right at the center, real giant. Yeah. Uh, And she's like, the power plant. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. 
So it turns out Hawkins is actually pretty big. And they figure out that that's why the power plant uh, had went down for a moment recently and that the Russians are up to something or whoever's up to something. And so they take off to the last of the properties they haven't checked, right? Uh, eventually. Hess's Hess land. Farm, or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cut back to uh, another wonderful. See, this this episode had a shitload of puddings. Uh, Karen and Nancy moment um, where yeah. Karen gives her a big speech and talks her out of her severe depression. You know, you're strong willed. You know, you'd never give up. And there's a hilarious joke where she pretends to she got it from Ted, obviously, and, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. Throwing shade, dude. <laughs> yeah. Just throwing old Ted under the bus. And then, uh, I don't know, good mother-daughter moment that sends Nancy uh, back on her mission to see what's up with the Driscoll. Um, Cut back to the boys plot with the sauna. Wait, hold on. The the Nancy-Karen conversation was doubly great. One thing that I picked up on 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 a second viewing that I didn't the first, um, it confirmed something we've thought about Karen all along, is that when Karen was younger, Karen was quite the Mm -hmm. go-getter. She has that moment where she's like, the world sucks. The world will tell tell you that um, you can't do this, you can't do that, the, that 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 you can't do anything. And she has this moment where she almost says, um, like, she says, uh, "I" before stopping herself. She's like, like in terms of like, "I can't do it." She goes, "I," and then stops herself, and then corrects herself to, "You can't do it," and which implies that she fell She's victim to this. She's currently going through that, or or even like recently. Yeah, because she pretty much admits that she gave up. And so in this conversation with Nancy, she's urging her daughter not to make the same mistake she did when she was in that position, is to always believe in yourself and keep standing up for yourself and fighting. And this this leads me to the one note that Sam had me write down for you guys, and that is that Sam wanted everyone to know. This week's episode of Sam Says. (laughs) We need a drop for that. Uh, No, Sam says that... Karen is a saint. Karen is living her best life. And Karen deserves any goddamn thing she wants. <laughs> and that is what Sam says. <laughs> I, I'm honestly, I'm thinking that they're leaning this way. And I hope that it happens. I hope Karen leaves Ted in season four. Like, doesn't have to be any like character assassinating infidelity, but just appointed. This is not making me happy. I am leaving. Nothing wrong with that. Are we agreed? Right. I mean, why no. should she be stuck somewhere? She's clearly unhappy because, you know, not to reference later in the show too much, but I mean, there's some moments where it focuses heavily on like the miserable dynamic of their relationship and not in to me a very comical way. Not after the first couple times. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, damn. Um, mm. So that's what I hope for Karen. I know it sounds awful. In season four. I divorced. She leaves her. Hat. I, I wish a divorce <laughs> upon her. Yes. Um, that's all of season four. There's no like mind flare or 11 with powers. It's the divorce of Karen awesome? and Ted. <laughs> uh, fucking uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. <laughs> Baby Holly's <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> So then we cut to uh, the boys plotting their their sauna uh, heist, and um, Mike's a fucking dork. You know, he's like pretending the uh, 
CPR mannequins talking and snitches on Hopper. He finally comes clean to Eleven and says, this is why I've been lying to you. And Eleven's cold as ice. And she's like, I know. Uh, and then plot twist, girl power. Because he's like, hey, Hopper's a dick. Isn't everything great? And I love, there's three reasons at least. Yeah, maybe two. That I, I love this <laughs> particular scene. Because they're not going with like the fuck Hopper plot line. And we know for a fact because we've seen the rest of the show. Which I was super relieved about right because nobody's ever like super mad at hopper for doing all that at any point in this season which would have been tiresome to me but also that 11's not like mad at him at all she's like maybe he's right you know what i mean if i'm hanging out with you all the time and she's like punching (laughs) his chest and shit how am i gonna hang out with girls and be with my own species and she's kind (laughs) of still mad about the shit she saw when she was spying but also it's like a, a valid point for you know uh, any grown up to realize like, Hey, I need a balance in my life. Um, mm-hmm. not just this fuck boy that I hang out with sometimes. Um, <laughs> so I really enjoyed that. And, but Mike does find out, figure out that she's been spying and he's like, Oh, that's against the rules. And she's like, I make my own rules. And Max taught me that saying, huh? <laughs> Did, I saw online. It never really occurred to me, but a, a, a film critic that I really respect thought it was, vastly unbelievable and highly annoying that Eleven still struggles to speak on occasion and we had all noted that it's silly because she's occasionally very articulate um, what do you guys think about that because in this episode I noticed it a couple times where like they're reading Wonder Woman and Eleven's like yeah and then the Pythagorean theorem and then we cut back to her and all of a sudden she's like what that book and it's just like <laughs> what I, like I really want Max or somebody with her to be like huh why the fuck are you talking like that? That's <laughs> because um, she's been hanging out with Mike too much. When she's like eight or nine in season one, it's fucking, and it's great. Do you know what I mean? Because she's never been yeah. around people that much. And friends don't lie. And like, that. I loved it. But now it's kind of just like, eh, it's been five years. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I understand I the concepts know, like, she wouldn't get, but just the way that she's, her diction bothers me when it's pointed like that. I don't know. What do you guys think? I feel like they needed to have suspended disbelief at this point and be like, okay, she's just straight up fluent now. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. l- let her speak normally because like, I don't know, like I studied French for five years. I, she speaks better English than I do French. You know what I mean? Like she, I, I think she actually, when she's eloquent, speaks better than she ought to for having sit, sitting around reading one book, make better mouth or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. Um, but it just is not good storytelling to let it keep be let that keep being a defining characteristic for her. so and inconsistently I, yeah it's, yeah especially because it's inconsistent i really hope that they just let her speak normally next season and maybe like once or twice throughout the whole season have her say something ridiculous you know like those scenes where somebody goes up to speak a foreign language and they they're all hot shit like oh i know what i'm saying they're, they go up and try to say how do you do it's really nice to meet you and they ended up saying like making love to a goose egg you know what i mean it, and it doesn't even have to be the way she talks but just her ignorance of the the world like sure they do that in hilarious fun ways all the time there's a couple moments in this episode uh, one of my favorite moments is when they're all Will's trying to explain why he knows that the mind flares back and it's because he can feel him and somebody says what does it feel like and he's like do you know what it's like when you're on a roller coaster and then it's like cut to each of the kids yes yeah totally no no and then, <laughs> 11 has never been on a roller coaster but she says it like normal just no you know what I mean like yeah. that's the shit I like um 
or what's good scream like that shit that's funny to me and that makes sense that she wouldn't she'd be a little behind but she can fucking talk uh anyway hop and uh well chopper searches all of the properties that they found um we cut back to billy in the shower again can we get this man out of the shower please (laughs) especially since i noticed and this is huge he doesn't dry when he showers he just walks right out we cut to him with pants on getting in his locker still drenched who the fuck does that how'd he get his boxers on because you know they catch a lot if you're wet still <laughs> especially if you're wearing the tight ones those take forever to get on um just Billy's just perpetually moist like it's very moist and sorry man. to listeners that don't like that word but <laughs> if you watch if you rewatch the show he's never not moist it's true or mildly damp well so, he is he is uh being controlled so maybe that's part of it as well yeah maybe he likes to be moist the mind flayer um <laughs> So we cut back to this weird little... He likes it wet. This weird little horror (laughs) sequence ensues where the the monster is the children, which I really liked. Billy! And I'm sure there's some ego there that I didn't catch. Billy! And he's running through the locker room and they trap him in the sauna using a walkie-talkie taped to the mannequin. Uh, And he like, after he realizes it's a mannequin... Decides to like choke, choke it, it. force choke <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, you're not a person. I thought uh, that was really weird that he like he clearly knows that's a dummy, but he goes ahead yeah. and just grabs it by the throat and holds it up like he's about to fucking interrogate it. Yeah, <laughs> where are the kids? <laughs> you can't hold out much longer. Um, yeah, and then Eleven uses her powers, throws him back in. They slam the door, and it was very well executed. I loved it. Uh, slide the bar in, lock the chain. Boom, done. Went off cut back to Nancy investigating at the hospital. She pretends to be uh, Driscoll's granddaughter and she's later going to find out that there's all kinds of weird shit going on because uh, as the heat increases in the sauna, Mrs. Driscoll's face like starts to blacken and has this death maul scream and Nancy's just always standing there with her clipboard looking left and right like, oh shit. Why <laughs> I do you look like, like a doctor should be coming in right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of beeping. You look like uh, The Mummy, that movie that comes out in like 20 years. Do you know what I'm talking about with the jaw when it opens in the sandstorm? It's crazy. That's what you look like, though. Um, and then The guy from Encino Man's going to star. It's going to be wild. <laughs> it's going to be like his real last hurrah in Hollywood. It's really sad, actually. He seems like a nice guy. Uh, and then we cut back to Steve, uh, the Scoops Troop, flying down the, the elevator shaft. So they successfully get in there. They find the green goop, the energy goop. Uh, but they get trapped in there and then starts to drop down. They get the shaft is what I'm saying. They get shafted. Um, if you die, I die. <laughs> uh, cut back to Billy winning best actor of the show ever award uh, as the heat kicks up. What is his name? Dacre? The actor's De- name's Deacon. Oh. De- it's no, like it's like D- D-A-C-R-E Decree, or yeah. something. I think it's yeah. Docker Daker or something. Montgomery. Decker. Yeah. Anyway, he's a fucking incredible. Like, watching it this last time today, I was like, wow, that's really good. And I know, I think there's two ways to read this, because you alluded to it earlier, Steve, of like, like you read it one way specifically, uh, that, that that was the real Billy pleading for help. And, and I think it could also be read as the mind flayer trying to get Max to approach the window, though. Um mm-hmm. Or some version of both where like he lets Billy out for a second, maybe, mm-hmm. right? Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I could understand why someone would have that, that, that thought. Um, the only reason why I, th- I 
kind of lean more towards it being Billy getting control for a second is he starts crying and then he doesn't start reaching for the, what is it like a piece of broken tile that looks like a knife? Yeah. yeah. He doesn't start reaching for that until Will gets his little break senses that he's coming back. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, you're right. Cause so I, like I initially had the, he's duping her theory or just way of reading that scene without thinking of it until this watch today. Um, and that's when I started to kind of like, Oh, there's really two different ways to read this, that that's actually a sincerely Billy crying for help. Um, and there's also something that happens shortly after this that we'll touch on. That makes me also still believe that it's more Billy in control in that moment than the monster. Mm-hmm. So I thought watching this and maybe Andy did too, cause he's got that. He's even sicker than I am that Billy was going to kill himself with that tile. And I mm-hmm. thought that either the mind flayer was making him do it or just that Billy doesn't want to be controlled. And that's how he's going to save his you know family from being hurt by him. Um, and I love that idea. And I, I'm sorry. I wish he had done it. Like that would have mm. shocked the, like, cause I, as soon as he's reaching for the tile and he's locked in there, they can't help him. Do you know what I mean? I was like, Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that would have been, awesome dope and crazy and do you agree <laughs> oh yeah, yeah that would have yeah. been fucking dope and they didn't like, do start it mutilating himself and shit <laughs> yeah or the the more you know pg version of doing that is him threatening to do it and starting to bleed a little holding it up to his throat starting to bleed a little bit and then max is like oh my god i gotta let him out sure and then he runs away you know that, that would have been there you go that would have been a smarter way to have him get out because mm-hmm. rather than him it kind of reminded me of a uh, glass like the monster when the veins explode and he gets like superhuman strength. Uh, you know, talking about James McAvoy. Yeah. Like when Billy like flexes his black veins and like the flare fully takes over, he seems to have like this greater strength where he's able to bust, you know, through the door now. Yeah, Um, He can bust through the door. He can, um, fight off 11's telekinetic powers. Right. And to some degree, like he's definitely got his own type of powers in some way when he's being, controlled by this much of the mind flare yes and it's weird too and this is why i wanted to talk about like the philosophy of the season in general a little bit we know now that they're at the end of this episode and then obviously going forward that there are uh, many flayed citizens um billy seems to be the ringleader like more more of the mind flayer is in him than in anyone else and I don't know how they justify that other than him being one of the titular characters. And I'm okay with it because Billy's awesome, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, especially the longest. Yeah, I guess. It's but then with what happens at the end of the show or the season, yeah, uh, was, yeah, that doesn't, doesn't make track. any sense at all. <clears throat> Do you know what I'm saying? But we'll talk about that later. Um, anyway, so yeah, go ahead. That, that scene where Billy gets away and he, um, uh, we see yeah, so the then other we have the fight with Eleven and Billy, uh, and you know, power throw, power struggle. Um, most of the kids watching in horror <laughs> that don't do anything to help until Mike hits him, and then yeah, throws Billy through the wall. Um, yeah, go ahead. But yeah, he he meets up with the the rest of the the flayed people at the steelworks. He he talks to Heather specifically, mm-hmm. and there's this moment where 
Heather's asking him, which is kind of funny. Like if you if you're this like omniscient being that controls everything that everyone does, it's kind of weird to have two characters that you control have a conversation with each other like that. Right. Yeah, but, I don't understand how that works. I think that they're it's almost like they're still them. They're just like contaminated as far as their hopes and wishes, and you know, yeah. they want the. I don't know. I don't know. But but there's this interesting moment where uh, Billy says something to the effect. Uh, like she Heather asked him like it was it the girl and he's like yeah she could have killed me to which Heather responds yeah yeah but not us <laughs> yeah I thought, and so, I thought that was awesome and like I like that was awesome in a way that it like shows that there's so many more people that are you know being taken over by the monster but also it also I think accentuates the points accentuates the point that there is some individuality left in Billy that whole thing, as soon as the um, Eleven throws Billy through the wall, the score picks up. Um, like the sound, you know, the actual sound effects, the diegetic noises die down. And then uh, fucking the score takes over and it's like you can't, it's almost kind of slow mo And then you see Eleven crying because um, she falls some, into Mike's arms. Somebody almost got the best of her for the first time and you know, many, many episodes, um, which was super scary it, just to see 11 being choked like that. That's weird for us. Right. And it's, it's, yeah. I've seen it four times now and it's still like, Oh shit, no, you know, and like, it's weird. <laughs> Get um, off of her. Yeah. <laughs> you bastard. Um, I don't know. I just thought the score was outrageously good in that part in particular. And then that like, Steve, that you probably song know the, the song, end, the 60s song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the way that that played out saying, uh, we'll meet again or whatever. Like it was all just so well done. Like that mm-hmm. episode. I love perfect. Creepy oldies music in a horror context. It's so good. Do you know what <laughs> makes me think of? And it's terrible because the director is a weirdo. Um, what the fuck was it? The guy that's like a, a child abuser that makes those movies, the horror films. Um, Jeepers Creepers. Ironically, oh, is the name. oh that dude! I don't it's know. It's like name. based around that old song. So jeepers, creepers, mm-hmm. where'd you get those peepers? Anyway, it's <laughs> it makes it scary. It's scary. Uh, anyway, that was a weird uh, illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our Easter egos segment because my <laughs> lack of climate control is really getting to me. Um, this is where we find all the Easter eggs, or as many as we can, and as many '80s references in each episode as we can. And we try to have a structure to it, but we end up going willy-nilly every time. Steve, start us off with an ego. Uh, I guess I'll start off with the the easy ones right at the beginning. Um, we get to see the Wonder Woman and Green Lantern comics that Max is providing Eleven. Oh, was there a Green Lantern there too? Yeah, mm-hmm. she brings she up two of them one? and then Eleven focuses obviously on the Wonder Woman. But Green Lantern is the other one. I didn't really check to see like if there is any sort of importance as to those particular two issues, but... I'm sure there is. Freeze frame. Yeah. What happens? And yeah, let's do that. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Is mentioned by Larry Klein. Which is an apt uh, metaphor for our Russian hitman guy. Who is the Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. There's a shitload of Terminator references with that guy throughout the rest of the show. Um, I got a few obscure ones. So I'll just say Red Dawn is an obvious one. Uh, we've probably already mentioned three times, <laughs> um, but every time I see a Russian, I'm going to bring it up. Red Dawn. <laughs> Red Dawn. Red, Red Dawn. Dawn. <laughs> um, I got two ones that are stretches. Do you have any more obvious ones or some music things or anything, Steve? Yeah. I, do you want me to just plow through the ones I have left? Do some plowing. This is our um, segment called Steve's Plow. Steve's Plowing. 
Oh He's my so god, I love it. Um, in Max's room, there's a there's a poster for the movie The Endless Summer, which I looked up because I wasn't sure what that was. Apparently, it's a documentary about surfing. Oh, cool. Which is apt for Billy and uh, Max since they're from the West Cali. Coast. Um, I didn't know what to call this, but in Hop's room, do you remember those old white and red cracker tins that were like everywhere? Like I no. know like growing up, my mom had this like metal tin that you would like just a bread put box. Cr- yeah, but you would like specifically put like saltine crackers in and <laughs> Hopper had one so. of those. And I was like, oh, so I wrote it down. Um, <laughs> uh, Steve mentions Gumby, but he calls him Gumbo. There is a My Little Pony backpack that Erica is wearing. And then finally, the song at the end is called We'll Meet Again by Vera Lynn. Another appropriate song to use, not only because clearly they're going to meet again and fight someday, but also it was used famously in Dr. Strangelove, which is a Russia versus America ah, story. Wow. Nice. <laughs> Very nice find, Steve. So those are my, my gets. What, uh, what about you, Chris? A little Kubrick action. Um, so the, the one that's a super stretch I completely made up was when Erica's talking about when she gets into the Russian base, she's asking questions about, is there going to be any booby traps, lasers? Um, and she says something else. And I just said, I thought to myself, is that like a really far stretching Indiana Jones throwaway? Um, Cause she says something else. But again, I, I completely made that one up again. I make these up sometimes. And then <laughs> I think the air vent is intentional though, both with, with her Dustin and then later for sure with Murray, uh, a diehard reference? Is it not? Oh, yeah, it could be. Sneaking through air vents with Russians and stuff? Because the first one, they're definitely Slavic, right? Yeah, no, I think that's a that's an apt metaphor because diehard yeah. is very famous for the all the all the air duct traversal. I mean, I've been watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine recently, and anytime <laughs> there's an air duct in that show, they're like, diehard. <laughs> so. Apparently, I need to watch that fucking show. Um, I'm I'm not getting the gifts anymore. Andy, I know you uh, (laughs) had a struggle with the notes and stuff. Do you have any egos you wanted to throw out? Uh, No, not really. I didn't want to throw you under the bus. uh, I want to leave you. When Hopper was beating up uh, Klein, did you get a Mission Impossible 2 vibe when he went to cut his finger off with a cigar cutter? He cuts the dude's finger off with a cigar cutter, too. Yeah, Yeah, it's like the tip of the fucking cocaine finger. Yeah. Later on in the series, they're going to find out, like, wait, that's not the mayor, because see, the mayor has missing a finger, just like in Mission Impossible 2. I think when he's in Mayor Klein's house, too, like, that palm tree wallpaper mixed with his shirt is something, uh, like Scarface well, his, or, you know what I mean? His, like it, his it whole house of, is like an ode to cocaine 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I think it's like a Scarface thing or something, but I, I always thought of Grand Theft Auto Vice City. With him yeah, in that shirt yeah. in that house. I'm like, oh, shit. Um, yeah, cocaine 80s. <laughs> that's a whole sub, that's, subculture. That's a genre. <laughs> no, for sure. Uh, now, time for our chocolate pudding segment. We found the chocolate pudding where we name our top three favorite moments of the episode. Steve, do you have a number three? Because I got nine moments I need to pick three, two, one out of real quick. I do have a number three. My okay. number three is Erica Explains Capitalism. Uh <laughs> It was just a, I, it was a really fun scene, just getting to see more of Erica, and she's showing just how 
you know, we as a viewer, but also the characters of the show have kind of underestimated Erica, thinking she's just kind of this mean person that just quips out mean statements. But no, she's actually really smart. She like breaks down capitalism. She's a suave negotiator. And uh, you can't say America without Erica. So, you know, she's she's the real patriot here. And also, um, Operation Child Endangerment is a hilarious mission name. So, yeah. good on you, yeah. Erica. <laughs> that, that was my number three as well. I didn't know where it was going to fall, so I just made it number three since you were already talking about it. Uh, You're welcome. But the Dustin and Erica America scene is what I put it. Uh, that whole, like I said, her monologue, that whole shakedown was just awesome. Very well done. Very entertaining. Andy, you're number three. Uh, my number three was Hopper beating up Klein, Mission Impossible 2 style. Um, <laughs> I, it, it was just a cool, uh, effective scene. It was, it was cool to see Hopper back in his element after getting his shit kicked out of him the last episode. Uh, I thought it was really affecting, subtle way to, I, I don't know if you can call it subtle, but the way that they brought up his tragic backstory. I feel like that's the only time up to this point that they've mentioned Sarah. When he says, don't yeah. give me the dead daughter's sob story or whatever, because I don't care. You know? It's been a minute. Um, dude's a complete sleazeball. And, and that's when cool he snaps, to, you know, which is cool, yeah. too. Yeah, it was cool to get him to see see him get his comeuppance. And then uh, Joyce in the uh, secretary room being a <laughs> badass and ripping the phone cord out and stuff. I'm like, you're going to want to sit down. Yeah, like, sit down. What are you going to do, call the police? <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> and that's funny because it's kind of a mom logic thing. Like, All right. Duh, he's the cop. Yes. <laughs> Steve, you're number it, two. Hopper's the cop. Get it? Yeah. Get it? <laughs> um, my number two is the conversation between Karen and Nancy. Um, I think this is the first truly heartfelt scene in the entire se- series in this in this season up to this point. Um, and it really kind of uh, gave a lot of breath to Karen's character um, it really reconciled the relationship between the two because up until this point, they've really been kind of like almost, and they've been antagonists to one another, mostly because like it's more of a mom, get out of my room type antagonism, you know, but just to see them finally connect as mother and daughter on such a real awesome level was good to see. That is my number two as well. <laughs> uh, this time I had already written that. So that one, that one was a, an organic coming coming together um no i was again watching it for the umpteenth time today and i looked over i was watching with my six-year-old because i'm a terrible parent and uh i look over (laughs) during this scene and i expect him to be bored because there are no demo dogs or monsters or any of the kids or you know what i mean no flashing he is in rapt attention at this scene uh and then when karen says shithead uh which nancy finds (laughs) cute and like mom my son went he had this huge smile and giggle and went mom and like he said it too like you know what I mean like he got everything about it and that that was naughty for her to say as a mother and that really hit home with him as a six-year-old and it was just fascinating to watch everything that the filmmakers intended just play out in you know on my son's face and in his reaction and like i just i was so happy that he was and then slowly his smile went away and he was slack-jawed just like staring getting the the movement of it as well that she was being inspired by you know what i mean and uh, yeah. i don't know it was just really, really cool to watch i love i love hearing stories about kids watching stuff like that and just like how it affects them and them getting it that's so cool that you got to see that yeah that was awesome so that's my number two uh andy your number two 
Uh, my number two and number one are kind of tied together, but I'll just say that my number two is the Body Snatchers ending um, with uh, Billy saying, like, she could have killed me and Heather saying, but they can't kill us. And the creepy, badass Veer Lynn song as they pull back and reveal, like, that to me was, here's the stakes. Here's them stakes. And they are well done. <laughs> and fucking, uh, like, all the people there. And, like, it's like, holy shit, there's, uh, there, this is uh, a lot bigger. It, I don't know. It just felt like this season more, shitload more than season two and almost more than season one feels like it has stakes that didn't uh it, it it feels like more danger it feels like more of a horror movie and that was that you guys know how much i love horror movies so that was that to me was like a, oh fuck yeah moment yeah hear them stakes <laughs> uh steve what is your number one my number one is billy in the sauna because he got them abs. No, uh, because it's just like, it's such an intense scene. I remember the first time watching this, I was just glued to the screen. I was, I just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and then obviously seeing just the power that he exerts, you know, breaking out of the, out of the room and fighting 11 and just 11 going unhinged with her powers on him. Um, you get the, you get the awesome badassness that you love to see from 11, but you also see that she's kind of meeting her match. You get to see the great acting from Billy, uh, the the um, you know the the conundrum that uh, Max is facing with confronting this issue that her brother has, and then the other boy is just helpless. Or not, well, Will's not really helpless, but especially Lucas, just kind of helpless to do anything in in the face of this new threat that just ex- literally explodes out of the sauna at them. And I, I think <laughs> I think they're. And I, I got frustrated today watching it, you know, like fucking do something. Cause she's just getting choked and they're all just like, it's cutting to each face. Like, oh. but <laughs> looking back and really thinking about it, like they're shocked that their yeah. invincible friend is in this position, right? Like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Cause like the scene before that, when he's still in the sauna and he's about to break out, she's got both arms out, get behind me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Protecting all yeah. of them. And they're all like, perpetually going to always be like, get him 11. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's our friend and she's crazy. You she's going to make you pee your pants. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think they're just like, oh shit, what do we do? Yeah. You know? Uh, and then Will snaps out of it or I'm um, sorry, Mike snaps out of it and hits him yeah. with a hammer or whatever the, the pole. So uh, Andy's number two is my number one. The, there's the very ending. Um, didn't think much of it the first time I saw it. I think I was probably looking at my girlfriend making a joke like, Ooh, shit hit the fan and ready for the next episode. <laughs> but watching it in isolation today from almost purely a filmmaking standpoint, um, cause I'd seen the plot so many times and I was like, Holy shit, that is well done. Uh, just the score, the build up uh, to the song. Uh, I don't know even what that is, Andy, like a, it's not quite dolly a pan, out. huh? Dolly, dolly out. out. Yeah. The dolly out. Um, you know, fuck the logic of why them two are talking and everyone else is frozen like a, it reminded me of a Westworld shot in the freezer, like the basement of all the old, mm-hmm. um, whatever you call them, the robots. Uh, but yeah, I just was like, holy shit, that was really well done. Excellent. Hosts. God, I knew that, that someone else was going to bring up Billy's acting in the sauna. So I left that yeah. like knowing that was going to get touched on. Andy, you're number one. Uh, my number one is Steve's number one. Um, just the whole sauna sequence. Uh, 
Billy fucking killed it in that scene. Uh, he was the, the, just the range of acting within that two and a half, three minutes uh, that um, Mr. Montgomery achieves was pretty phenomenal. Um, I had not thought about the kids standing back in horror reaction that you just described, seeing that seeing their trump card get beat to shit. Uh, well, not be you know what I mean, but uh, that that act makes me love it even more. Uh, I just everything about that sequence was fucking dope and so that's why it's tied into one with me because yeah. even like the the impact of um of billy getting thrown through the wall was like i don't just more affecting for some reason i'm not sure what they did differently than the thousand other times i've seen somebody get thrown through a wall but when that happened i was like fuck you know uh i kept expecting throughout the show 11 to overdo it and kill Billy. Do you know what I mean? I think that wouldn't mm. stop the mind flare at all. And that that would be a tragedy. I kept trying to kill Billy in an effective <laughs> emotional way in my mind throughout this show. And, um, you know, they have their own take on that eventually, but, uh, my ways are better. So, so do you guys think, so, uh, with the end of season of this season, do you think that the people, I'm, well, let me back up. Did you guys hear that they're rebooting power Rangers again? I, I did, did not, not hear that. No. They're making another Power Rangers movie. Do you think that they're kicking themselves in the foot for announcing that reboot? Because the, the actor who played Billy was the main Power Ranger kid in the last reboot they did like a year ago or a couple years ago. That movie? He's in it? Yeah. He's one of the main Rangers. And uh, do you think they're like, damn it, why did we announce that we're rebooting it again? We could have just right. got on the high of Billy. I was just thinking he would make a great Power Ranger. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I actually see like a young Heath Ledger, especially in the sauna. Oh, yeah. Because when my favorite, actually, I didn't even mention it, but my favorite Billy and nobody, I wish people could see me on video, uh, is when he first sees what's obviously a dummy in the sauna and thinks it's a kid. And he like smiles and claps. Like it reminds me of the Joker. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, goody, let's play. He's so excited that he found the oh, yeah. little fucker. And it's awesome. And it's super scary. He's like, he's really well done. If you need to watch, uh, I think his name's Daker. I keep saying that. Uh, his audition tapes are online now for auditioning for Billy. It's fascinating what he chose to do. And he does three or four different like 80s style things. And it's really neat. Um, anyway. Those are our favorite moments. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. But before we leave you, we've got an email from one of our cherished listeners that Steve would like to read. Steve, take it away. Oh, this email comes in from Phil Armstrong. He writes, hello. After recently completing both the entirety of season two, as well as season three's inaugural episode, I cannot help but feel like Hopper's character has shifted to a sort of vestigial tail whose role was exercised well in the previous two seasons, but is now left without much to do except provide comedic relief in a sort of, oh, darn those kids, tropey kind of way. Are you getting this or is this an unfair criticism? Friends do reply. <laughs> Clever at the no end comment. there. I, I think <laughs> Andy said no comment. Get it? <laughs> Boom. Um, I, I think it's unfair to really answer that uh, because now we've all seen the entire season. That's obviously not true. Um, it may have been what they were. I may have gotten that vibe in the first couple episodes without realizing it, or you know, had he brought that up, then I might have been like, oh shit, yeah, maybe. But it's tough now to really. You know what I mean? Respond to that in an intellectual way because I have the the other five episodes to be like, no, clearly not. You know, 
I actually did respond to it right after Steve said no reply. So what I said was, that's an interesting viewpoint. Since he's gone through the arc of coming to terms with his daughter's death, he's kind of been adrift with his characterization. I love seeing the, oh, this is what it's like having a teenage daughter thread. We had it a bit in season two, but now that dating social life is in the picture, it's a whole new ballgame. And I'm glad that they've moved on from the gr- from grieving father being his defining trait, but I agree that they could be doing more with him. I think that dynamic with Joyce, how to move on from tragedy, tragedy how to be a single parent, mutual mentor thing has a lot of potential there's still a lot of season left to see how it grows curious to hear your thoughts at the end of the season so there you go (laughs) fucking thorough andy's usually better with the emails than us so if you do email streamingthingspod at gmail.com expect andy's reply well before (laughs) mine unless you're an important giant news conglomerate trying to give us an interview spot (laughs) then i will reply with some smart ass shit thinking you're spam uh That still just fucking horrifies me that I did that to us. Um, when we were in Alabama, there was a couple of times where Sam would look over at me and go, hey, remember when Chris messed up that news thing? <laughs> that news thing? <laughs> remember when you guys were about to be hot shit in Canada and he ruined it? <laughs> he, t- he asked her what it was a boot. Um, anyway, yes, email streamingthingspod at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you're hearing this podcast, especially if it's iTunes. Uh, tune in soon. We're going to try to to get caught back up uh, and then wrap up our Stranger Things coverage and then uh, delve into the next journey, right? Uh, chasing Moby Dick, as it were. My name is Chris. I'm Andy. And I'm Steve. This has been Streaming Things, a Stranger Things podcast for a little bit while longer. Stranger Things podcast. Stranger Things podcast for a little while longer. Welcome back. My name is Chris. I'm Andy. And I'm Steve. And this is... You caught me with a mouthful of vape, dude. Framing things. <laughs> Apparently this is vaping Vape and right nerd. Now. Vaping things. Yeah, Andy, we found out you can totally hear the vapes. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, 